Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 219 of the Running Rogue podcast. This is your host, Chris McClung, and I am coming to you from an absolutely beautiful morning in Austin, Texas. I'm excited about today's episode because it fits the theme of my current running planning and I think might resonate with some of you as we continue to grind through the pandemic type of training. But we're going to be talking today about something I mentioned in my first episode of the new year. And we're going to be talking about getting back to the basics and really making sure that we're always well grounded in the fundamental building blocks of a consistent long-term running program that will allow us to have that long-term progress, that longevity, and ultimately that continued success as we progress in each of our individual careers. So we're going to get to that. I'm going to give you five pillars, five basics to think about in the context of your running programming. Many of these will be familiar to you as things that I talk about consistently, but I wanted to make sure that we boil it down, especially as we start 2021, boil it down to the key things that matter. So we'll get to that in a second. A couple of quick things by way of intro. First of all, I started my Marathon Kids Mileage Challenge yesterday as I record this episode on a Tuesday. And now I am 31 walking and running miles into my challenge this week, trying to do 104.8 miles this week in celebration as well as recognition and to raise awareness of the Marathon Kids program, which we talked all about in episode 218 with CEO Cami Hawkins. I'm using this as a platform to raise money for the program as a part of our 25th anniversary fundraising campaign so that we can continue to give the gift of running to kids all over this country for another 25 years. So if you'd like to participate, would love for those that are willing and interested to help me out with this fundraising effort It's easiest to find me. Just go to Rogue Chris on Instagram and you can find that link to donate in my bio. You can also follow me this entire week as I build towards this goal of 104.8 miles, which will be the most walking and running miles I've ever covered in one week. And so I've got my work cut out for me, but I'm on track so far, 31 miles in the first two days. And I'll probably get a few more miles later today as I'm trying to kind of stay ahead of it. So I So I have a little bit of cushion and wiggle room as the week progresses. So please follow along, donate if you're able. That would really uh, help me in this effort to fundraise for a great organization. Secondly, I wanted to just give a shout out and call out to one of my favorite runners and a, a runner who has been consistently, I think, grounded in the basics of her own training since running began for her in high school, and that's Sarah Hall. Sarah Hall was one of the big, big success stories of 2020, and even though she certainly had a whole career full of success, I think 2020 really finally gave her the cherry on top of that career, the cherries on top of that career that make all that hard work over the course of 20 plus years pay off. Of course, in October, she finished second in the London Marathon to earn a world major podium behind Bridget Koskai on a wet and soggy day there in London. And then she followed that up two and a half months later, doing the marathon project in Arizona, where she ran the second fastest time by an American ever behind Dina Castor. 
She ran a 220 and change to earn that second spot on the all-time list. And a very, very impressive win for her in that event. And I was able to watch it live. It was live streamed on USATF.tv. And then there was a replay on NBC Sports. It was just amazing to watch. And while it wasn't necessarily dramatic, she kept a pretty consistent pace the whole time. She was on faster than American record pace for a little bit, but then fell off ever so slightly in those final miles to miss the record by just under a minute behind Dina's 219.36 American record. And Hall's time was 220.32 in a very, very impressive result. And so I wanted to call that out because I missed it while I was away, but also because to me, Sarah, Sarah Hall is one of the role models in the sport in a lot of ways. And if you don't know, know her story, I would encourage you to head over to the Clean Sport Collective podcast where we interviewed Sarah prior to the Olympic marathon trials last February. She, though, to me, is a picture of exactly what long-term success in running can look like. And that's about a consistent commitment to the fundamental elements of training that will allow you to have a sustained career, but also ultimately achieve your successes over time if you just keep doing the work. And for Sarah, as someone who came out of high school as one of the top runners in the country, the expectations were high, not only at Stanford, where she went to undergrad, but also as she turned pro. And many would have said that Sarah might have had a result like this in 2020 many years earlier, but for whatever reason, she didn't, was always near the top of the sport, but never quite earning those crowning achievements that perhaps the external world values. But she kept doing the work, stayed consistent, kept focusing on those fundamental elements. And sure enough, now at the age of 37, she has a number two all-time list on the American marathon record. The other thing that's beautiful to me about her career is the fact that she has shown such range, which not only shows you the depth of her talent, but also shows you the value of focusing on different distances at different times in your training. She has competed in the mile all the way to the marathon and has had success to varying degrees, but has had success at almost every distance in between, including running steeplechase at one point. And so that variety of work, that consistent work has ultimately led to a 2020 pair of results in her podium in London and then this win at the Marathon Project that she can really be proud of. And it's cool for me to see that because it shows you and sets an example for what success in running really should look like. If you're doing things the right way, if you keep doing the work, if you stay consistent, if you're dogged in your determination to go after your goals, and if you don't quit. We've heard it from Des Linden before. She says, keep showing up. And I think that's what Sarah has done more than anything. She has kept showing up. And now she has a pair of crowning achievements that I think she can be satisfied with, even if those were the 
the finest things that she ever does in the sport. Although I know that she probably still has more goals and expectations. And so we, I don't think we've seen the last of Sarah Hall, but the reason is because of that massive foundation that she's established throughout her career that really started for her by running in the woods in high school where she just fell in love with the sport to begin with. So wanted to give a shout out to Sarah Hall and kind of point you to her if you don't know her name to follow her career and also point to her as an example of what really training should look like for all of us. So with that as a couple of intro notes, I wanted to jump into my discussion today on the basics, getting back to the basics of training. This has been a theme for me so far in 2020 as I was just coming off an injury that really started to dissipate in early November and I've been building now. I think I counted last week. I've been building back for about 12 weeks. So as I entered 2020, I had a good, clean starting place, so to speak, so that I could get back into my running in in a, in a way that looks more like what I was used to after battling several months worth of injury. But it has me refocused And the theme I'm trying to focus on, as I mentioned in that first episode of the new year, the theme I'm trying to focus on is just nailing the basics, finding success, finding fun, finding foundation, finding grounding in the basic elements of training that will allow me to be happy, healthy, and then ultimately lay a foundation for when we can go race for real again. So... Back to the basics. This is also a theme I've been hammering home from a coaching perspective. And so I wanted to talk about it on the podcast to really try to boil down the key elements that you need to be thinking about really all the time. But certainly I think it takes a reminder here and there to take your eye maybe off some of those fancy things on the the periphery and really get grounded in the core elements of what it takes to be successful for the long term, as Sarah Hall has shown us. So I'm going to give you five things, you know, we could probably argue or quibble about what might be on this list. But these are the five things that I think about when I think about having a strong foundation from which to build. And the idea here, I think, can come to you in a few different forms in terms of how you think about this and how you might incorporate it into your own training. For some who have maybe struggled during the pandemic to maintain a consistent routine or maybe to find purpose or to 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 grasp on to something that was exciting to help them continue their running journey, this could be perhaps five elements that you really just try to focus on in the short term that gives you a very near-term goal to try to accomplish a few basic things so that you can get back into a routine and set yourself up for the future. For others of you who have been crushing it, maybe with virtual races, who have, you know, have had no problem with motivation, who've done more miles than ever, and certainly that is some of you. This is also just a reminder not to forget about these elements and to revisit this list periodically to make sure you're staying on top of these key elements. And as I said at the top, many of these things will be things that you've heard from me before, but I wanted to boil it down, bubble up the key things to focus on again as a reminder. 
for what the foundation should look like. So number one, and this is something that I consistently hammer on this podcast, and it's not a physical thing. The The rest of the list will be a, related to physical activity. But this first one is about more of a mental activity, and that is to reground or remain grounded in your purpose. Why do you do this? What keeps you motivated to get out that door? And you may have some innate sense for what that is, but I think it's nice to periodically put that down on paper. And so if you had to answer the question or finish the statement rather, I run because, I run because, dot, 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 what does the dot, dot, dot mean to you? And again, that can become, that can become your, your true north, your north star to constantly look back to in order to stay motivated so that you can do the other four elements that I'm going to talk about. And so just to revisit this purpose discussion quickly, I wanted to talk about a few things. First of all, many times when I say this word or talk about this topic, people glaze their eyes over or they roll their eyes into the back of their head because they think it's a bit silly and perhaps cheesy. And while I understand that perspective, I also just want to push those who might have it a little bit. Certainly, we can take this topic and make it big and existential. And and I know for many of us, we we can and want to, we can and want to go deep to, to really try to understand, you know, the core elements. What does running mean? What does it represent? And it might have really big and impactful meaning in the lives of some. And if that's you, please do it. First of all, don't let others tell you not to go there. And second of all, don't be afraid to continue to go there yourself. If that's the type of relationship you have with running, go deep. For those that roll their eyes or who might think this is a silly thing to focus on, you don't have to go deep. That's okay. But you're out there for a reason. When the alarm goes off and it's time to go out the door and get your work done, you're walking out the door for a reason. And typically for the vast majority of us, that reason extends well beyond the desire to simply be healthy. Most of us that spend the time we spend chasing the goals we chase, listening to podcasts like this, most of us are doing it for more than just the health benefits. Certainly those come with it, but most of us have a bigger purpose, a bigger meaning, and it doesn't have to be a huge existential thing. It can be simple. It can be about hanging with your friends. It can be about pushing yourself. It can be about competing. It can be about finding joy in this, in simply in movement. It could be about connecting to nature. There's a long list of things it could be about that don't have to be super deep, but just simply finish that sentence and ideally write it down. I run because. So that's sort of point one. Get past the cheesy part if you must. And and if you're not wanting to dig super deep, that's okay. Keep it surface level, but just stay grounded in what that purpose is. Okay, my second point here is that this purpose 
can and will likely evolve for you over the course of your running journey. And so as that evolution happens, I think it's helpful to check back in to see if the reasons you've been running are still those same reasons that you get out the door. I know for me, it has evolved certainly through my running career. I started out in running 20 plus years ago with with a need to scratch a competitive itch in me as someone who played competitive team sports my entire life. After I finished playing soccer, I needed something else to scratch that competitive itch and running became it for me. And while I wasn't necessarily competing against others, I was competing with myself and it gave me an outlet for competition that got me into running. Over time, certainly that element is still there, but I've evolved in a way that now I run for other reasons as well. And sometimes even now, my reasons might change from period to period within a given year. But over time, it became also about, for me, connecting with others, particularly through the rogue community that I train with here, being able to have that human connection, being able to become invested in the goals of others and helping them achieve them in addition to trying to achieve my own. That became a part of my purpose in running. And I would say right now for me, it's actually purely about doing it for the joy of it, for the simple joy of it, which is honestly a place that if you told me 20 years ago that I would get to this place, I probably wouldn't have believed you because at the time when I started running, I didn't actually enjoy the activity of running for the sake of the activity of running. It had to be about training for something. It had to be about competing with myself in some way. And I, I think I would have told you you're crazy if you had told me that I would eventually fall in loving, love with running just for the pure activity of it. And now I'm in that place and especially coming off injury where I lost the sport in many ways over a period of four months. At least I lost it in terms of how I normally get to experience it. I now coming back have a greater appreciation for what the pure and simple activity of running does for me in so many ways. And it's certainly a stress relief outlet, a mental health outlet, but it also makes me feel a certain way in my body physically that just that just feels good, that just brings energy to my day and 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 gives me a smile, especially in the context of being able to experience it on a beautiful day. Or even on a rainy and cold day as I as I've, I've run recently. So for now, in this moment, it's about enjoying running for the pure activity of it for me. And I'm really doubling down and investing in just trying to soak it in and noticing the little things on a run that can bring me joy. The birds chirping, the sunrise as I saw this morning, and perhaps exploring different trails, things like that. And so for for me, for right now, I'm just enjoying it for the pure activity of it. I don't actually need at the moment a goal, a, a competition to go after, which is a very different place for me than typically I am with with my running journey. And I know that that won't necessarily be where I am forever. I will have other goals on the horizon. And certainly I've got things percolating in the back of my head. But now I'm focused purely on running for the sake of running, 
staying consistent, staying healthy, getting back to the basics as I'm talking about, and just enjoying it for the pure pureness of the activity. And so that's what it is for me at the moment. But again, I know that will evolve, especially as this year progresses and things start to get back to quote unquote more normal. But that's what it is for me. And and it's okay to embrace that evolution, but it also means that you have to periodically check in on that and and pinpoint if things have shifted for you because that helps you then stay grounded in your true north. It's like, why am I doing this? Having a clear answer to that question helps you get out the door, helps you stay motivated, helps you, I think, get the most out of your running when you do it. And so just take a moment, check in on that question for you. Why do you run? I run because answer that question. I think ideally you want to write it down, which makes it a little bit more real. Keep it short. Keep it succinct. This does not have to be a dissertation on purpose. And certainly you can think about a hundred reasons why you run. There are certainly usually many more behind that main reason, but I would encourage you to prioritize and pick the most important one and then finish that sentence I run because in a single sentence and ideally in maybe a phrase so that you have a crystal clear picture of why you're doing it. So for me right now, I run because of the joy of it, the pure, simple joy of the activity. That's my answer. I would encourage you to get your answer and then to use that as your true north, either to find motivation right now or to sustain motivation as we progress through this still uncertain year. So that's number one, purpose. Again, you've heard me talk about that before, but still, it's critical. Number two, consistency. Number two, consistency. This goes back to the theme of episode seven for us, miles matter. Doing the work consistently establishing that consistent running routine of mostly easy miles is the absolute physical foundation of your future in this sport and of achieving big goals in this sport. If finding your purpose is the mental foundation, consistency is the physical foundation, which means that no single run matters more than any other run. They all matter. It's the accumulation of the work that matters. And so as we talk about consistency, I wanted to talk about and remind you of a few reasons why this pillar is so important. Number one, consistency is important because of the physical changes that happen in you when you, when you are consistent. And when I'm talking about consistency, I'm talking about not just consistency within a week, but within a month, and then ultimately over the period of years. And for those of us that are in it and really want to get the most out of ourselves, decades. So consistency, doing the work day in and day out, has a physical effect on you that is actually really, really cool. And I've talked about this before on the podcast, but to me, it's, it's, the, it's the most fascinating part of running, at least on the physical side, is this idea that you can literally transform how your body looks from the inside out. And I wish that there was more 
visual evidence of this that you could actually see it. But you just have to have faith that it's there because it is. There are physical changes, physical manifestations of your consistency that ultimately make you a better processor of oxygen to your working muscles so that they can perform respiration, which ultimately makes you go. So the ultimate goal is to get as much O2 from the atmosphere into your lungs, into your bloodstream, into those cells in your muscles so that they can perform respiration and make you go combined with glucose and water. So what are those physical changes? We're talking about more mitochondria in your cells. Those are the little bodies within your cells that actually perform respiration. So more mitochondria in your cells. We're also talking about more capillaries to your working muscles. Literally, as you're consistent, you grow new blood vessels. That's really cool. You grow new blood vessels so that you can get more blood and therefore more oxygen to those working muscles. So more mitochondria, more blood vessels. You improve your red blood cell count in your cells. The red blood cells are the in, in your bloodstream, the red blood cells are the cells that carry oxygen in your bloodstream. So you get more of those RBCs, as you might see on a blood test. And then those red blood cells you have actually improve their ability to carry more oxygen over time. Then you've got some cool changes that happen in your lungs, which is that ultimately you get a bigger lung capacity. And then your lungs improve their ability to efficiently pass oxygen from the alveoli to into the bloodstream. And so that chain of breathing, taking in oxygen, all the way to getting that molecule of O2 to those working muscles, every step along the chain becomes better, bigger, more efficient, and ultimately delivers more oxygen to those working muscles. All of those physical changes, which are really, really cool in the context of aerobic development, those physical changes happen primarily by doing consistent, easy mileage over time. And, you know, and again, I'm talking about decades of work. Now, if you're not decades in, you're just a short period in, then you have a long way to go to fully develop the aerobic system. Because they say that for a period of 15 up to, in some people, 20 years, doing consistent work actually continues to expand your ability to carry oxygen more efficiently to those mitochondria so they can perform respiration. So that easy work, that easy mileage done consistently day in and day out helps make you a better aerobic engine with all those little physical changes that I talked about, which are which are obviously really cool. And so that's the number one effect of consistency. That's why consistent work matters more than almost anything else you can do. It's just getting in the runs. And so for some of you, you say, well, it's hard for me for whatever reason, whether it be because of motivation or because of schedule. And I, I understand and I can relate. You know, first of all, I would say to you, go back and establish that purpose so that you understand what your true north is. But second of all, related to maintaining consistency, the other thing to keep in mind is that something is always better than nothing. I think it's easy 
when you can't do the full amount of mileage on your schedule or maybe you can't get out for as long as you would like, it's easy to just not go out at all because we get into this binary situation where if we can't do it, we're going to do nothing. But I want you to fight that impulse hard and get out there no matter what. Always do what you can. If you had five miles on the schedule but can't do five, do three. If you can't do three, do two. If you can't do two, do one. Anything is better than nothing. And so get out there and do whatever work you can. And so that's my second point about consistency is something is always better than nothing. My my third point about consistency is the neuromuscular benefits of consistency. I've had many people come to me as relatively new runners or maybe less experienced runners who haven't had formal training before, and they'll tell me, I can't run more than X days or I will get injured. And I understand that perspective because oftentimes in some, you know, an unstructured program, people do break themselves because they do too much too soon or perhaps they're running fast all the time. But what you will find is that fewer days for many will actually be more, cause them to be more prone to injury because they're not building that neuromuscular resilience that ultimately makes you healthy as the mileage builds. But also, they're not creating balance in those runs so that they're taking those easy days easy enough. And as a result, they're getting hurt by doing too many days at too fast a pace. So it's not necessarily about the days, it's about how you handle those days. And we'll talk in just a second about my third pillar, which covers the stress-rest balance. But for the sake of this, that that consistent running, that consistent routine allows you to build neuromuscular resilience that allows you to sustain the work. Provided, of course, that you're running easy enough when you should be, that allows you to sustain the work while also building the aerobic capacity that we just talked about, which will ultimately make you a stronger, more resilient runner who will have a bigger engine and therefore can go faster over time. So consistency breeds that aerobic capacity, but also breeds neuromuscular resilience. And so you want to establish that consistent routine and stick with it as consistently as you can. For most of you, and my perspective as a coach is that everybody should be doing at least five days a week of running. I don't care what distance you're training for. Everybody should be doing at least five days a week of running. And and I think marathoners ideally are doing six. So five or six days for any distance. And marathoners ideally are doing six to build that, again, that neuromuscular resilience that allows you to sustain hard efforts over 26.2 miles. And so again, some of you will say, well, I can't run five days a week. I get hurt every time. Well, then I would say start slow, add days first, take those extra days easy, which then will build that neuromuscular resilience. And then once you have the days established, then you can start adding distance on those days because if you take the paces easy enough absolutely you can do those five days because then you have the right balance to make it all fit together so five or six days 
And for some of you, this will also mean establishing mileage targets perhaps for this year in 2021. I've seen many athletes who had more miles than ever in 2020 because they had more time perhaps to chase those miles as as they weren't spending as much time perhaps in the car for commute or whatever it may have been. And so maybe for 2021, that's something to focus on for you. doesn't mean you have to do anything crazy. It doesn't mean you have to do anything more than start wherever you are and build a little bit from that. And so I like to see people within a year, perhaps maybe focus on building about 10% in the total year. So if you did 1,500 miles last year, then shoot for 1,650 this year. As an example, as a small example, make incremental gains that will allow you to build a little bit more aerobic capacity this year, build a little bit more neuromuscular resilience so that then you have a bigger foundation going into the year following. So number one, purpose. Number two, consistency. Consistent routine trumps all. I don't care what workouts you're doing. What matters is a consistent routine more than that. Number three, stress, rest, balance. Stress, rest, balance. That's the third back to basics principle. You can only run as many miles as you can recover from. You can only run as many miles as you can recover from. And so in order to stay consistent, you have to also stay healthy. And that health is really critical, obviously, but also swings in the balance based on your stress and rest balance. Are you balancing those two things appropriately? Are your hard days hard and are your easy days easy? Are you managing those hard days so there aren't too many of them in a given week so that you can make it all fit together? Because what's more important than doing more hard days is being consistent. And so you have to back off on the hard sometimes in order to make it all work. So what does that look like? Because when I say stress, rest, balance, I think some people hear the word rest and they think, oh, well, I can just take a day off and maybe I just need more days off in order to make it all fit together. Well, that's actually contradictory to what I'm talking about and certainly contradicts the point I just made about consistency. When I say rest here, I'm not talking about sitting on the couch. I'm talking about active rest talking about the work you need to do in order to actively recover. So what does that look like? And it starts with easy recovery runs. For many of you that are doing workouts or long runs as a part of your training, those next day, the next day after a workout, the next day after a long run, those should be active recovery days where you're moving, you're running, but you're going at an effort that is so easy that allows your body to recover from the work before. A prior guest of mine, Marilyn Faulkner, has a great way of putting this. She says, motion is lotion for the muscles. And I love that quite a bit. I also like to say movement equals blood flow equals healing, which is another way to put it. But either way, when you move, you have enhanced blood flow through the working muscles, those capillaries that get the respiration going also serve to send fresh blood into the system 
that allows the system to basically clean itself up and get you feeling better so that you're ready to go do that next hard day. So easy recovery runs at paces that sometimes should be glacially slow, as we like to say around Rogue, is is what the doctor ordered. And in some cases, for some of you, that could mean a recovery walk or at least starting that recovery run with a walk until your muscles feel a little bit better so that you can then start running and progress a little bit as you go. What does this mean from a pace standpoint on those recovery days? For me, it typically means that I want to run at least two minutes per mile, sometimes even three minutes per mile slower than my target marathon pace or a minute to a minute and a half slower than my normal easy run pace is another way to think about it. So I'm talking about easy, easy. And these runs, to me, the number one measure of did I have a good recovery run is if it feels easy the whole time in terms of the effort and you finish feeling better than when you started. I will often have people come to me and say, well, my legs were too sore after that long run or that workout, so I didn't run. I thought it would be better to take off. And that's actually the complete wrong impulse. When your legs are sore, that should be a signal that you need the run more than ever because those muscles need the blood flow so that they can heal from that soreness, provided, of course, that you're going at easy enough efforts. So easy recovery ones, that's, that is one of your number one recovery tools. There are others, of course. Sleep is probably the number one if you're not talking about recovery running. But I'd put those two one and two, recovery runs, probably two, sleep number one. But getting proper sleep is an important part of recovery. For some of you, getting massages or foam rolling can be parts of recovery that are active. But it's all about doing something, eating, getting the right fueling is a part of recovery. But making sure that for the work that you put in, that you're balancing appropriately with the recovery elements, active recovery, not just sitting on the couch. Not to say you can't sit on the couch, but don't think of that as recovery. Recovery is active. It's doing work to get you ready for that next thing. And so this stress, rest, balance is absolutely critical. It is a foundational building block until you understand what that balance looks like for you, then you'll never optimize what you're able to do with your running. For some of you, that means putting your ego aside. I think the number one barrier to achieving the proper stress-rest balance is our own ego. We think that by going super easy on recovery runs, we think that somehow that negatively reflects on us or perhaps we're worried about the Strava stalkers looking at our runs and thinking we're quote-unquote slow but you got to let all that go. Got to let all that go. One thing I like to say to my athletes is you got to go slow to go fast. You got to go slow to go fast. You got to go slow and easy on those recovery days in order to go fast on workout days and certainly in order to go fast on on race day. For me, as someone who's run a 245 marathon, that can mean sometimes on recovery days, I'm running 930 per mile or slower if that's what my body calls for. 
many will say, well, I can't go that slow. And I say, well, I can go that slow, so you can go that slow. The only thing getting in your way truly is your ego and the some twisted desire or thought in the back of our head that we have to go faster in order to get faster. And ultimately, if you're doing that, on, if you're going too fast on recovery days, then it's counterproductive, not only because you're perhaps going too fast and you're in the wrong aerobic development zone, but also because you're putting your neuromuscular system at risk so that you will break yourself, which then prevents you from being consistent, which then obviously prevents you from developing the aerobic system in the right way and achieving the results that you want to achieve. So set that ego aside, embrace the appropriate stress rest balance. If you need something to work on during this time, work on going slower on your recovery days. How is that for a novel concept? Try to run your recovery runs slower than you've ever run. Try it. Take, take your normal easy run pace, add 90 seconds per mile and go try it. And you might find that it's hard initially, but if you work on it, then ultimately you'll be able to embrace that idea of going the right effort on those recovery days. And I promise you, you'll feel better if you just give it a, sh- a shot. So think about that. Oftentimes we like to push the edge, run paces that are faster than we've ever run. Well, I'm challenging you to actually run slower on a recovery day than you've ever run. Just give it a shot and see what happens. I promise you, you'll feel better. And then you'll find that you can actually put more into your hard days. And that will unlock perhaps some potential that was just lurking below the surface because you were too much of a hammerhead. So That's principle number three, getting the right stress-rest balance. Number four, we talked, I've talked about speed. I know everybody might be doing a very, a speed program in, or have speed designed and embedded within their program. And that's fine. Assuming you have a coach and it's periodized the right way. Great. But in many ways, that's, that's not the foundation. That's the gravy on top. And, but, but there is one element of speed that is a fundamental element of speed. And so I'm including it here, which is doing weekly strides. Doing weekly strides is number four. Weekly strides. I'll talk in a second about what a stride looks like. But first, I just want to talk about the purpose of a stride. And strides are just short controlled sprints, which I'll give you some tips on how to execute in a second. But they're just short controlled sprints that you might do four to six, sometimes even as many as eight of these in a session, once a week ideally, up to two times a week for those that would like to do a little bit more, but start with one day a week. And what do strides do for you? Ultimately, they do two things. One is that they help you improve form and efficiency over time. When we run faster, especially in a controlled way, then our body tends to find a more efficient form that fits within the context of how our body might work. And if you do that consistently, these strides consistently, it gives you just a little dose of speed that helps promote efficiency that won't make changes in the moment, but that will make changes to your form and efficiency over time, over the course of consistently executing these week in and week out. And so it helps you improve form. The second thing is it's a little activation of speed 
that engages those so-called fast twitch muscles that helps you ultimately become faster over time as well. So it makes you more efficient, but also makes you faster. And then in the context of any program, especially for those that maybe didn't have a, a, a background in the sport and who are relatively new to running or new to doing speed work, strides are the perfect place to start to help you improve that top end speed as well over time. So it makes you more efficient, but also helps you improve speed, pure speed. Sometimes we call strides a speed development tool for that reason. So what do strides look like? And then we'll talk about how to fit them in, where to execute them. So what do strides look like? Strides are 80 to 100 meter controlled sprints. Could be even as short as 60 meters for some of you, but let's say 60 to 100 meters short controlled sprints. How do you execute them? You want to find a straightaway that's, again, about 80 meters or so. Could be on a track, could be on the road in front of your house, which is where I do mine. And you want to then mentally divide that's that distance up into thirds in your head. It doesn't have to be perfect. You're just going to do this kind of on mental feel, but you're going to, you're going to build your speed for the first third. You're going to hold your speed for the middle third, and then you're going to let off the gas and cruise to the finish over the final third. So build your speed for a third, hold your speed for a third, cruise for the final third. So you don't have to break, but you just kind of cruise to a stop over the final third of the stride being carried by that momentum from that middle sprint. And in that middle section, you want to get somewhere around 85 to up to 95% of peak speed. And so you're not going all out, not full top end, but you're close to high-end sprinting levels in that middle 30 meters or so, so that you can just get that little touch of that top end speed or that close to top end speed without breaking the system. Once you're done, you walk back to the start for full recovery, which is absolutely critical. Walk back to the start. Don't jog back. Walk back to the start. Get a full recovery between each and then repeat that. You can start with as few as four of these. You can build up to as many as eight. For me, I like to keep it in a range of anywhere from four to eight depending on how I feel. There are some days when I do these and it feels harder for whatever reason than others and I do fewer. And then some days I feel great and the speed is kind of building as I go and I'll do more. So you can execute it within the range, but if you're starting these for the first time, you want to start on the, the, end, the lower end of the range with four and then you can build that as you go. Where do these strides fit? Typically for me, they fit after a medium long run during the week but you could also do them after pretty much any run but your quality days and your long run. So you can do these after easy days. You can do them, do them after recovery days. You can do them after those medium long run days. If it's somewhere after an easy run during the week where you'll finish the run and do the four to six strides at the very end with when the body's fully revved up and, and warm, now, for some of you who are short on time and you can't tack these into a, the end, or onto the end of a run, then you could also do it in the form 
of a 20 to 30 second fart lick in the middle of the run where again you're kind of treating that by the same concept but instead of by distance by time you're building your speed for the first part holding that speed for maybe 10 seconds in the middle and then cruising to the end so 20 to 30 second fart licks could also could also be the way you do this in the middle of the run where you might do a three or four mile warm-up do these strides with a couple of minutes of easy running in between do these 20 to 30 second strides with easy minutes between and then of course finish that up at the end with the same number of reps so four to eight of those depending on how far you're going so that's another way to do it either way do these every single week and you won't notice a difference after one week two weeks three weeks four weeks but you will notice a difference after the period of months and years you'll start to see this type of work pay off the analogy i like to use for strides is that strides are kind of like allergy shots they're instead of inoculations that help you be allergy free Strides are like inoculations of speed. And while you don't notice the difference after one shot, you do notice the difference after many years of those shots where you'll build up immunity in the case of allergies. And in this case, related to speed, you'll build speed and form and efficiency that will ultimately make you faster over time. So strides, it's a fundamental building block. You should be doing them every week of the year, no matter what can even fit these into a race week these are great after a race as sort of a recovery tool of course with the caveat that you listen to your body and don't do anything crazy or try to overstretch it you know post race in which case you might see that those strides are a little bit slower than normal and that's absolutely okay the other thing to think about with strides is that they are intended to be smooth and relaxed so you're not forcing this work you should allow the speed to come to you. Relaxed running is fast running. And so if you just think instead about going a certain pace, instead you think about maintaining a smooth and consistent relaxed running form, then you'll find that that speed will come to you and you'll be able to execute these in a safe way that will, as I said, give you those, to give you that inoculation of speed that over time will make a difference. So that's number four, weekly strides. Number one purpose, two, consistency, three, finding the right stress, rest, balance, four, strides. Lastly, our last fundamental building block, and you could probably split this into two. I'm going to put it as one because I think sometimes these elements overlap, but number five is strength and mobility work strength and mobility work and i know that some of the runners that are listening i just lost you because you don't like to do strength work and believe me i am one of them but i want to emphasize the importance of this work and i actually want to start with the mobility side if you're going to prioritize one of these two things then prioritize mobility what is mobility what's the difference between mobility and flexibility mobility is the ability for your body to to move in good clean healthy with good clean and healthy range of motion good clean and healthy range of motion and oftentimes as runners because of the way we're moving in a very two-dimensional way just straight ahead 
we we start to lose mobility in our joints that that restrict range of motion that prevent us from perhaps using the muscles around those joints the right way and also potentially from achieving our potential related to speed and so good mobility is important and it comes down primarily to three areas ankle mobility squat mobility and then another thing we call the hip hinge i'm going to actually link in the show notes to some exercises you can do to test your mobility and then and then exercise you can do to improve mobility from our strength partner partner travis goyanechi who's been on the program but of those three you may not be restricted in all of them and you may just need to work on one of them i know for me ankle and squat mobility are a problem with ankle being number one because that ultimately restricts my squat mobility but you want to be able to move in good clean range of motion so that you can not only activate the right muscles and dissipate forces in the right way but that ultimately helps you stay injury free as you go and so understanding Where you are restricted and being able to work on those restrictions becomes a really important part of staying healthy in the long term. Personally, a big source of my issues have always been around my ankle mobility issues. My left ankle, for example, is restricted because of some ankle sprains I endured in high school. And that then has carryover effect to this day. And, and so I have to continually work on that. I also know that my heel injury last year was caused by an actual ankle restriction. The ankle kind of got jammed and wasn't moving properly, which impinged the nerve. And because I didn't address it quickly enough for a variety of reasons, it ultimately created a really angry nerve that took several months to dissipate. And the source of that is, wasn't was bad, poor ankle mobility and so being able to work on your mobility is critical knowing where your restrictions are that's critical i will i would encourage you to go to actually to movementtest.com movementtest.com which is travis's website which has some basic movement tests that you can do and then some basic activities that you can work use to work on mobility depending on where you might be restricted i'd also point you to running rewired which is the book by Jay Dishery that is, has some really good information where you can do your, your own self-assessments and then know exactly what to do to work on mobility. And some people might ask, well, why mobility and not flexibility? Mobility is the way for, is, is, is actually how the, the joints move and are they moving in a good clean range, range of motion? Flexibility is more about muscle length and your ability to stretch those muscles and the science tells us that 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 stretching and running is actually less important unless, of course, you have a routine that's already working for you. And more important is mobility, which is not necessarily the length of the muscles, but are the joints allowing you to move in a good, clean range of motion. And so understanding what are those basic mobility things that you need to be doing all the time in order to stay in a good clean range of motion so that's something you need to you need to understand 
The other note there is that foam rolling can be a way to help improve mobility. And so as it relates to my ankles, for example, there are some basic exercises that I do after runs. I also do some very basic calf foam rolling in order to keep the calf unknotted and moving in the right ways, moving in in ways that allow me then to have the range of motion I need in my ankle. And if you think about the difference between stretching your calf and using a foam roller on your calf, it's, it's sort of the equivalent of, or the analogy that I would use is if you have a rope and there's a knot in the rope, and so the rope is your calf, but if you have a knot in the rope, if you pull the rope on both ends with the knot in the middle, then that knot actually becomes tighter. And so that's the analogy of stretching a tight muscle or a muscle that might have a knot in it. Instead of pulling both ends, if instead you get something, use your fingers to work and massage that knot, then you can ultimately undo the knot and untie the rope in a way that doesn't have a knot in it, but that requires manual manipulation around the knot on that rope that allows you to work that knot out. And it's the same with with a muscle that has a knot in it. Instead of stretching it and pulling it, making the knot tighter, if you get in there with the foam roller and manually manipulate around the knot, it'll allow you to work that knot out so then that muscle can move in a normal way allowing your ankle to move in your normal way in the case of the calf. And so that's just a a little analogy to kind of understand the differences there. But knowing your restrictions and knowing the key exercises you need to, to do to maintain mobility are critical. For me, that means a few basic ankle exercises after every run. I'm not talking about a lot of time. I'm talking about a few minutes here and there. Sometimes I do them during the day as I've now become better about doing them again, consistently post this heel injury. So find your mobility restrictions, find the two or three exercises you need to be doing consistently to maintain mobility and do them. It's a fundamental building block. It will allow you to stay healthy so that you can ultimately execute on number two, which is be consistent. So that's mobility. And if you have to pick between the two, I would prioritize mobility, but strength is obviously next. Strength becomes even more important as we age. A lot of times runners, when they hear this, they get discouraged because they think, well, it's hard to do it all. I can't do it all. I can't do strength and running and mobility and foam rolling and do everything on the list, which I totally understand. And what I would encourage you to do is to just start really simple. Start with really simple set of things that you might do in 10 minutes after a run a couple of times a week talking about two sessions a couple of times a week, some really simple exercises, and it could be as simple as choosing a few things. For me, if I had to pick three things to do and that was it, it would be push-ups, planks, and walking lunges for me personally. For you, that list might include a different three things, but I think those three are actually pretty good. Planks for core, push-ups to work a little bit of upper body as well as core, And then walking lunges to work the glutes and activate the glutes and make sure that you're using your leg muscles in the right way. If I were to add a fourth thing to my list, it would be single leg deadlifts, unweighted initially for many of you, but then with a little bit of weight over time, hopefully as you get better at it. But those would be the four things I would do. Those two, those things can be done short, 
in a short and sweet fashion after a run. And if you can do them consistently, again, that will add up and start to make a difference. Because it's not just about pure strength. I think sometimes we get this confused. It's not just about pure strength. While that's important, it's also about neuromuscular health. Neuromuscular health in terms of making sure the nervous system is activated and the muscles are activated in the right way so that they can continue to meet the demands that you place on them so that they can answer the call when you phone the glutes. When you phone the glutes and you say, hey, I need you, we're going to do a hard workout, they have to be ready. And the strength work allows them to stay ready. Otherwise, they can get turned off, shut off, and then they stop stop working or get deactivated and then you start to pull on other surrounding muscles that aren't as strong and then that can lead to injury because you're asking muscles that weren't designed to repel you the way your glutes are to call to be called into action to do work for them so that's why the strength matters it's not just about the pure and raw strength it's also about activation neuromuscular activation and so find your basic routine and do it at a minimum and of course for those that want to invest more you can obviously do that there's more to the equation if you want to fully invest in it again jay dishry's book to me is is one of the definitive sources on strength training for runners if you could check out that book running rewired but there are others and and i would say it doesn't so matter exactly the routine that you follow as long as it's running focused, that there's some thought process in it meeting the needs that you specifically have, and of course, that you do it consistently. A couple of times a week is all it takes. So that's number five, basic strength and mobility routine. So again, one, purpose, two, consistency, three, getting the right stress-rest balance, Going easy enough on those easy runs. Four, strides every week, every single week of the year, no matter what, strides. And then fifth, a very basic strength and mobility routine, which allows you to keep the nerves and muscles happy so that ultimately you can continue to do what you want and stay consistent for the long term. Those are the five things. Those would be the pillars, the basics that I would tell you to focus on periodically. Again, we need reminders, so maybe you need to refocus. I know for me, sometimes I need that. But that's the theme for me of this new year is really just to get grounded in those five things, regrounded in the basics so that I can reestablish a strong foundation coming off of injury that will allow me to then have a solid foundation from which to build towards my next goal when races do return. And I'll remind you that the bigger the foundation, ultimately the taller the house can be. The bigger the foundation, the taller the house can be. So work on that big foundation. Don't neglect that big and strong foundation because it will ultimately lead you to a higher peak, give you the potential to not only stay in this and do it with joy for the long term, but ultimately also achieve success over the long term. So recommit to those basics. I'll be doing it with you. And I'm excited to see where this might lead us here in 2021. So that's it. My five basics. I'll wrap this episode by thanking you all again for listening 
thanking you for those who have already contributed to the Marathon Kids cause. Again, if you want to support me as I run and walk 104.8 miles this week, just go to my Instagram, Rogue Chris. Check out the link in the bio where you can donate. I would appreciate anyone who would choose to donate in that way. And of course, if you'd like to learn more about Rogue Running, you can go to roguerunning.com or follow us about on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Rogue Running. Until next week, we'll talk to you soon.